Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Our reading today, Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, beginning in verse 13, there is strong language from God's voice in this reading. Let's hear it together. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, Who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. In 1996, in Atlanta, all the buzz, all the talk was about the Olympics in our city. But two years later, 1998, all the buzz and the talk in the diners and the water cooler was about Tom Wolfe's new book, A Man in Full. It was fiction, but about an Atlanta man... And all the speculation around town is which Atlanta man might have this have been based on, or which two or three might have been combined to put this put together as a model for this character in the novel. Well, after church, I hope you will tell me your guesses. I've got I've got a few of my own. But nearly ten years earlier, did you read Tom Wolfe's first novel? Bonfire of the Vanities. Similar writing style, but this time the main character was not a big shot in Atlanta, but a big shot in New York. A Wall Street bond salesman who was enjoying just one success after another. And Wolf describes him saying, He was part of the pulverizing might of Pierce and Pierce, masters of the universe. 
to risk $6 billion in one afternoon to make two ticks, six and a quarter cents per $100, and then to make four ticks. Four ticks, the audacity, the audacity. Was there any more exciting power on the face of the earth? Well, perhaps Sherman McCoy is the real name of the man in our parable today. The farmer in our parable seems to be made of the same stuff, the big shot, the master of the universe. But before I get to the parable, the parable about the master of the universe, let me tell about the first little story where a man comes up to Jesus to help negotiate his greed. It's his brother's greed on the family inheritance and his greed to want more of it. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But negotiating greed is not going to be part of Jesus' day. Friend, who set me to be judge, arbitrator over you? Take care. Be on guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he tells this parable about Mr. Master of the Universe. When the man's land produced abundantly, it created a real problem for the rich man. What do I do with all of this extra? It can be a burden. I emailed a friend once. I hadn't seen him in a long time. I sent him an email and I said, look, we're overdue for lunch. Let's get something on the books. What have you got open? And he emailed me back and said, It's going to be a while. He said, I'm in cashers all this week at the the mountain house. They're having to put in a new deck. Then he said, owning three homes can be a real hassle. There seems to be something that needs doing all the time at one of the homes. It can be a burden. What to do with all of this extra? The man had a real problem on his hands. And the parable lets us inside his head. We get to hear the conversation he has with himself about what to do with all of this bounty. As I read it again, lean in and listen for the refrain. This is a conversation with himself. It is about himself. This is a monologue. This is all about him. It is his stuff, his problem, his accomplishments, his bounty. So when I read, listen for how many times he says, I, me, my, this is about him. Bless his heart, what will he do? And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will put down, pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will have store, a place to store all of my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Master of the universe, and I have too much stuff. And I'll not just build another barn. I'll tear down the old one. It was last year's model anyway. 
I'll build a bigger barn for my grain, my stuff. Then I will just relish in my stuff. And then, ah, I will gloat in all of the goods and the accomplishments and relax and eat and drink and be merry. And like Sherman McCoy in the book, we don't like this guy already. He's set up in the story to fall hard. And there's a part of me that kind of looks forward to his fall from his high and snotty perch. But I need to be careful here. It might be too easy. What I'd love to do is put him in the spotlight of the parable and then we could just point and chuckle. I'd I'd love to keep my distance and just act like this parable is intended for other people. It's just too easy for me in my modest townhome to pick on a buddy who complains about having to keep up three big houses. Too easy to cast the light of this parable on those, just those who have private jets, the masters of the universe. But the parable might really be about all of us. I got a gut punch on this topic once. There were four of us sitting out on the back deck into the evening, four buddies, guys at my friend's house. We were talking about mostly nothing. And then without any, I don't even know what prompted the conversation. The conversation got to this topic, this wasteful, outrageous lifestyle of the ultra-rich We're doing what we're talking about here, showing our disdain for the excessive lifestyles and all that. When one of my friends got honest with the group, and it stopped all of us a little short, he said, you know what? The truth is, I live in the most expensive home I can afford, and it's more house than we need. So what's really the difference between me and them? They just make more money. Ouch. By degree, my lifestyle is rather extravagant too. So maybe this parable was intended for all of us. It'd be fair for you to push back and say, look... There is nothing wrong with earning lots of money. There's nothing wrong with putting back for emergencies. Nobody in their right mind doesn't store up some in the barn. It'd be prudent to do that, right? We should put some grain away in the barn. In fact, the Bible tells us to store up for a rainy day. Remember, I mean, for instance, chapter 41 of Genesis talks about saving for a rainy day. It's the story that says that there are going to be years of plenty throughout the land. There are going to be years of famine throughout the land. So Pharaoh should appoint a man to take one-fifth of the produce in the years of plenty, put it back in reserve for the years of famine. The Bible urges us to caution and savings So surely this parable of Jesus isn't telling us to not save up for a rainy day. That would be silly. Well, if that's what's going on in your mind, I agree. 
And those of you who have saved for a rainy day, good. Melissa and I have even talked about getting us one of those savings accounts. It looks like such a great idea. (laughs) Then why does God say to the man in the parable, who's taken his excess profit, stored it in bigger barns, why does God say, you fool? That's rather strong language for a man who hasn't hurt anybody and just opened a savings account for his extra grain. I like the way the commentary writer says it. He says that the man's soul has been bankrupted by his balance sheet. Isn't that well said? Here's the dilemma. If it's okay to save for a rainy day, and this guy just happened to have a great year, What's wrong with what he did, and why does God call him a fool? Well, let's look more closely at the parable, and especially the first line, to see how this guy's soul was bankrupted by his balance sheet. The land of the rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do for I have no place to store my crops? The parable says that the land of the man produced abundantly. It it was God's bounty. It was God's provision. It was the rich man's miracle to manage. But the land produced abundantly. Not the man. Yet his response to God's miracle, God's providing, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. When accumulations create a focus on self, my stuff, my grain, my crops, my house, my portfolio, my inheritance, my assets, then you are at risk of having your balance sheet bankrupt your soul. The master of the universe talks to himself, plans for himself, congratulates himself, and God calls him a fool. Not because he makes or saves money, but because he is so caught up in himself that he thinks he did it and all the balance, all of the bounty is intended for his self-indulgence. Relax, eat, drink. Mary. Now, I know some people who make and bank a lot of money who are the most grateful and gracious and generous people on the planet. And I know some other people who make very little in comparison and are completely self-absorbed. The size of the barn is not the variable. It's the insatiable need for a bigger barn. Me, 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 mine. That's what leads to bankruptcy of the soul. You might think that church giving is tied to income. It's not. Giving is not related to income, it's tied to gratitude. 
those who understand that the land produces the increase, that God is the one who provides, always, always move to generosity. I am honored that some of you have trusted me with holy secrets, intimate things that just needed to be held in trust by someone you feel comfortable to confide in. And I have no more sacred responsibility as your pastor. But I have been particularly moved by the confidence of the mature saints of this church who have said to me, I want to talk with you about how to give away my money. I have too much. I can do anything I want to do. I've got some grain set aside in a barn for a rainy day. And I still have more. Can we talk about the places where that money could do some real good? I've seen it. It's not that uncommon among the most mature and the most generous. And then there are other people who say, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. I will pull down my barns. I will build bigger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And God says, you fool. And the most mature and the most generous are certainly not always those with homes in Aspen and Swiss bank accounts. You know, you know that Melissa and I grew up in Doraville and attended the little First Baptist Church there. It was mostly populated by the employees of the General Motors plant across the street. And one Sunday morning, the buzz all around church was about Emily's new car. Now, I've changed her name for the sermon, but Emily worked part-time at the church for the most modest wages, and to get to church, she would either catch a ride with a friend or she'd ride the bus. But on this Sunday, Emily drove up in a car of her own. One of the church members had an aunt to die, left him a perfectly good Impala, but he already had a car, had one he liked. So he went to the pastor and said, I have a car. Emily doesn't have a car. Would you make sure Emily gets this Impala without knowing who gave it to her? Can you imagine? He could have just added on to the garage. Same church, different story. 1994, Melissa and I got married in July. In August, we loaded up the green Ford Pinto, went to seminary in Wake Forest. We had a nice little apartment on campus. We were doing fine. One day, there's a knock on the door. Melissa opens up. There's a man with a big panel truck saying, I'm here to install your new washing machine. Melissa said, we didn't buy a new washing machine. He said, I've got the paperwork right here. Somebody has bought you a washing machine. I'm here to install it. About 15 years later, my pastor pulled me aside and told me which woman on a fixed income 
bought us a washing machine. She came to him and said, Doc and Melissa are preparing for ministry, and I just can't stand the thought that they have to go every week to the laundromat. In every case of generosity, these people could have torn down their barns and built bigger barns. Me, 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 I, mine, me. And God says, fool. It's not about the size of the paycheck or the size of the savings account. Generosity begins with the humility of knowing that God produces the grain and the excess grain, and we are fortunate stewards of that harvest. And generosity is the nature of God, and we are our best selves when we act like we have been made in the image of God. We are most fully alive when we are generous. Some people choose to let their balance sheet bankrupt their soul. But there are others, and I've seen it. There are others in the economy of God who are generous, and in that economy, everybody gains from an act of generosity because everybody becomes richer in some way, and nobody gets called a fool. Let's stand and sing. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.